You're listening to Trek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. This is Project Insight. Three next-generation helicarriers synced to a network of targeting satellites. Launch from the Lemurian star. Once we get them in the air, they never need to come down. Continuous suborbital flight, courtesy of our new repulsor engines. Stark? Uh, he had a few suggestions once he got an up-close look at our old turbines. These new long-range precision guns can eliminate a 1,000 hostiles a minute. The satellites can read a terrorist's DNA before he steps outside his spider hole. We're going to neutralize a lot of threats before they even happen. That's the punishment usually came after the crime. We can't afford to wait that long. Who's we? After New York, I convinced the World Security Council we needed a quantum surge in threat analysis. For once, we're way ahead of the curve. By holding a gun to everyone on Earth and calling it protection. You know, I read those SSR files. Greatest generation? You guys did some nasty stuff. Yeah. We compromised. Sometimes in ways that made us not sleep so well. But we did it so that people could be free. This isn't freedom. This is fear. S.H.I.E.L.D. takes the world as it is, not as we'd like it to be. And it's getting damn near past time for you to get with that program, Cap. Don't hold your breath. Well, welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. And I've got to say, I'm so excited to be back uh, this week because, uh, well, um, as we're recording this, we're uh, mere hours, hours away from Civil War, a new Civil War, the Marvel Civil War. Luckily, not that other Civil War from our history, but in comic history. So I'm super excited. And... Um, we're, we've reached a film which uh, I am very excited to talk about, The Winter Soldier. Before we do dive into that, I just want to remind everybody that the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network. We can be found on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. And of course, you can find us on Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. You could leave us a voicemail. Love hearing from people like that. It's so much fun. Just go to SpeakPipe.com slash Trek FM. You may appear on the show if you leave us a voicemail. Uh, you can also join us in our Babel conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook, or you can go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on any of the menu bars there. Uh, the show bar, uh, the show pages all have a menu bar, and discussion leads you right to that. And, of course, like I said, uh, while you're in iTunes, make sure that uh, you leave us a star rating and review. That really helps us out. So uh, do those things. Find us all over the place, and, of course, continue listening to the show thank you for listening thank you for tuning in really appreciate it it means the world to me that you're listening and um i'm really excited because i have a great guest with me to talk captain america winter soldier and it's none other than bethany blanton hello everyone thanks again for having me on the show and oh man i'm so excited to talk about one of my favorite superheroes and superhero properties so I, I have to ask, you know, before we do dive into Winter Soldier, um, when are you going to be seeing Civil War? I will be seeing it Thursday night and possibly Friday night as well. Excellent. I, I'm exactly the same. I'm seeing it on Thursday. I already have my tickets to see it on Friday, and I think I'm seeing it on Sunday too. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, um, but I think Sunday we're going to the IMAX 3D, so... So it's fun to kind of compare to see wh what the difference, if there is any difference for 3D. Sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't, but yeah. yeah. I, I have to ask just right off the bat, because uh, I believe you mentioned this, but I'm not sure I heard you correctly, that uh, Cap is your favorite character of the MCU. He is my favorite. Now, um, you know, for me, uh, Captain America is, I like to say he's kind of Marvel's Superman you know, character-wise, just kind of where they're coming from, uh, the virtuous nature of the character, and yet I just there's something about him that I just really like. And uh, for me, it, I don't know, Chris Evans just has a way of bringing a character to life that could be boring, but he's just not. He's uh, To me, he's fascinating. Um, and so uh, who's your favorite character? 
I this I vacillate on this so much. Uh, it's, I mean, I I fell in love with the idea of the MCU with Iron Man, and Iron Man was my first mm-hmm. experience yeah. of it, and I love his humor. But I would have to say that Captain America's principles really draw me to him as a character. Um, it's it really is between Iron Man and Captain America for me. I mean, I, I do love Black Widow, but we haven't really seen, we've yeah. seen some of her story, but she's not had a movie yet. So I, I don't feel like um, she's as fleshed out as I would like her to be character-wise. Um, well, she, she did just out. win a Fandango poll for the the most wanted Marvel film next. Like, oh. so we could, I mean, maybe Marvel's listening. I, I've personally been asking for that for a long time as well because i think she's a pretty fascinating character and i'd love to see yeah. more of her so i'm right there with you and i want to see like uh the references to some of the background stories between her and hawkeye like how they came to yeah. get to know each other and become <laughs> friends like budapest i want to see what happened in budapest yes, yes yeah exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. no i i mean I'm I'm with you, you know, uh for me too. Or like how she met Nick Fury. Yes. That would on, be a fantastic yeah. story to tell. Really interesting. And especially with the dark, you know, background that she has and what kind of led to him seeing something in her that w- would lead him to want him to have her on his side. You know, like it, yeah. all of that together I think would be pretty fascinating to watch. One of the things that uh it's it's funny as you mentioned I'm the same way. Iron Man was my first introduction, really, to the Marvel Universe. I mean, I knew Spider-Man and, uh, you know, knew Hulk. And I knew Captain America by name, but I didn't really know the characters all that well. I was much more of a DC guy. And, you know, Iron Man got me into the Marvel Universe. And, um, but it was, I, I... I'm right there with you. It was Cap that kind of won my heart because of his heart and his, the principled nature of who he is. Like, you know, he has such strong values and morals that are kind of never changing, you know? Like, he's yeah. always stands for the same thing. Like Superman, it's kind of like truth, justice, and the American way. That's that's pretty much what he stands for. And I think we really see uh, in this film, and correct me if I say if I say Civil War because that's on my mind so yeah. much right now. <laughs> no, I've not seen an advanced screening for Civil War, uh, but in this film we see uh, the Black Widow character be really attracted to Captain America, and I don't mean like in a flirtatious way or in a you know does she like like him way, but uh, just astounded that somebody like him can be a soldier can work for shield uh and still be such a a pure and noble character and she finds it fascinating um but she also finds it drawing to her like she doesn't fully understand necessarily how he can still have such a character and be in the line of work that he is um and she she longs for that i think within herself she uh, misses what she could have been had she not been, you know, from what we can tell, taken and kind of forced into becoming this assassin. That's that's a great point, and I love that you bring that up. It, it, kind of thinking about, you know, Cap has this continuing education for his modern education. You know, uh, the first movie yeah. he's in, it's all World War II. Second time we see him, it's all Avengers in an alien fight, so he doesn't get a lot of time to acclimate. But this film is really about him trying to find a way to deal with being a man at a time and yet, you know, catch up, be relevant, but also stay true to his values and morals. And that challenge of Natasha and somebody like her is so interesting for him because she has this amazing quote when they're riding in that truck that they've borrowed as caps puts it uh she says you know the truth is a matter of circumstances it's not all things to all people all the time and neither am i and the the fact that cap is in a world that is so much more gray than he's ever experienced in his life is is such an interesting place to put this character to see him try to wrestle with basically staying true to who he is you know like you said he 
faced with Natasha, who is, I think you're right. I think she, he's, she's kind of drawn to that way of life. I think maybe and there's a maybe a part of her that almost feels like, wow, oh, man, if, if she could have been or had a role model that was more like that, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, if she had had a Bucky in her life, you know, you know, when she was younger, if she'd had somebody to have her back, it's, it's kind of like, I don't remember exactly what it was that made me think this, but in Lord of the Rings, uh, when Gollum thinks about, or in Gollum's song from the movies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that he mentions no loyal friends were ever there for me. And that's right. because from Gollum's perspective, he sees what Sam and Frodo mean to each other. And so even Frodo, even though Frodo is carrying this evil burden, he has Sam that he can kind of fall back on. Sam, who has a pure heart and a loyal mind. And um, it seems like until Hawkeye, Black Widow never had that. Well, and what's kind of, what I kind of love about this too, and, and just specifically for the Black Widow character, is that it's not, it, to me, I don't take it romantically until we get to Ultron, where it's her and Banner. I feel like her and Hawkeye and her and Steve, she she has this wonderful kind of brother relation, brother sister relationship with them, that yeah. where they take care of each other, like they're there for each other. They they, in some ways, they find a way to become this kind of weird family, and I kind of really like that about Natasha and Steve in this film and their interactions. You know, I I I think they work the best together of any of the groupings that I've seen in the MCU. I really like them together because the way that they kind of offset, because they really are opposites, you know? Yeah. He's the moral virtuous one, and she is the, well, she doesn't really necessarily have any morals, you know? As uh, Fury said um, to to Steve, you know, uh, Natasha won't, I mean, she'll, she'll do anything that I ask her to do, you know? Uh, yeah. So it's it's a really interesting combination and i think that that's so well highlighted in their characters in this film too mm-hmm. because when they find out that shield has had this this trojan horse all along this hydra movement that uh is basically trying to destroy the world or take over the world uh how, depending on how you want to see it um natasha reacts with this almost this quiet sort of shock because she trusted fury and she trusted shield to be always doing the right thing. It's almost like she doesn't trust her own judgment. And so she let fury be her judgment. She let fury be her uh, moral compass. And as much as you might trust somebody and respect them and know that they're a great person, you can't let somebody else be your moral compass. And that's where, in this movie, she gets shaken up with that idea of, you know, maybe she doesn't have that many morals and being the sword that somebody else can wield, you know, however they want, even if that person is a really good person, they're going to make mistakes. Um, and it's Cap who says, you know what, S.H.I.E.L.D. needs to be shut down too, along with Hydra, because I understand that you're trying to do something good here, but look at the results. You know, let's let's be realistic about what happened here. And we really got to question this. Well, that's one of the really, I mean, when we're talking about this kind of idea of uh, the cap education, at the same time, I feel like he's educating the world around him to what they've lost. You know, uh, this Boy yeah. Scout kind of comes in and it shows us the way in which our world's changed, but not really necessarily for the better. You know, the things that we've given up um, and the things that we hold to now maybe aren't as powerful as the virtues and values and morals that somebody like Cap held on to during World War II. You know, I mean, I I love the confrontation that he has with Fury where they're talking and and Fury says, I read up on you uh, SSR boys back in World War II and you guys get some pretty nasty stuff. And Cap's like, yeah, we compromise sometimes. But we compromise so people could have freedom, not a gun pointed to their head. And I just, I I think it's really interesting because the idea of, you know, freedom 
versus safety really get, starts to get played out in this film and in the um, Marvel universe. And I mean, you know, that's a huge question for us today when we think about the idea of what are we willing to give up to feel safe and who are we going to entrust that safety to? Yeah. And that theme, it continues to run through Age of Ultron as well. Yeah, uh, definitely. I was just rewatching tonight. And it's, I, I wonder if that's what will continue to run through Civil War as a theme, because, you know, we have these Tony who says we need to be kept in check. And then we have Cap who says, you know, we freedom is important and this is going to infringe upon our freedom, possibly in a way that's dangerous or too controlling. Um, and obviously I, I haven't seen Civil War, so I don't know how in depth they'll go or, or just how deep that argument might become. But freedom versus security is um, a highly political argument as well because it determines how we're governed. It determines how basically our society is run. You know, how much freedom do we give up to be secure? How much do we entrust power and control to a government or to a leader or to a state uh, or to a military or to superheroes mm, um, yeah. in order to protect us. You know, how much information are we willing to give the NSA to get super political here for a moment to feel as though we can catch anybody who might be plotting against us? And there is no perfectly right answer. It's there's some balance along that spectrum and it's difficult to find because it's it's murky it's gray and it's far more difficult than it was in some ways where it's you know us versus the nazis um and i yeah. think that's really what cap is struggling with is what is that good balance and you know how how much does he really know about this modern world that's so brand new to him well and and you know i was really struck by the way that the even something like the costume design at the beginning of the film mirrors this what you were talking about this murkiness that cap is involved in this kind of um moral malaise that he's found himself in in the world that he exists in you know if you look at that costume in the beginning that stealth costume he has and the one he's wearing throughout most of the film until the end it's very muted uh, all the red and the white is taken out, and it's blue and silver. So again, it feels kind of like more in the gray tones. And even his shield is the same way. It's been muted. There isn't that red there anymore. It's just the muted, uh, like kind of like brushed uh, stainless steel look at, with uh, the kind of slight, I don't the know, frisbee, grayish as blue. Calls yeah, <laughs> the frisbee. Yeah, the frisbee. So. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's really interesting as we, as you look at the movie and just the way that it's telling you that there is something off about everything from the beginning, like, um, and that everybody is involved in some things that they may or may not uh, be glad that they're a part of by the end of the movie. And uh, what I love about that is that this is the first time I felt like to me that the Marvel Universe really took itself seriously and really asked some serious questions that had ramifications beyond just a film, but even to our own world. And to me, you know, that's what makes the most successful uh, comic book film is one that makes me think more meta than just have a good time. That's just my personality. So this, yeah. to me, just resonates like crazy uh, as as a movie because of all the questions that the film continues to ask throughout the entire thing. Like it never really stops asking questions even up to the very end. I, I guess for me, each Marvel film has had an element of that, you know, in the first Iron Man movie, you really have the question of, you know, how, how much are we willing to put our morals to the side? You know, Tony is faced with the facts of what his moral uh, I guess flippancy has yeah. has done. No, that's that's. I mean, uh, I remember when we talked on the show about Iron Man and the idea of you know 
why we make weapons and who we make them for and being accountable for what we do and personal responsibility and all of that really does play into that film. So, you know, there are some, there are some of those messages for sure sprinkled throughout all of the Marvel films. And I really feel like here it was just like, okay, we're going to finally deal with a lot of those questions. And we kind of touched on this idea of this kind of like insidious villain that we get in this film, which I thought was really ingenious. The idea that Hydra, the cuckoo bird, has kind of taken over S.H.I.E.L.D. and people didn't even know it. It's been nesting inside S.H.I.E.L.D. for, you know, 50 years, just waiting to strike, to push out, you know, the the chick so it can roost. And um, I, I really... I love this because as we were talking about the idea of, you know, what do we do to keep us safe? S.H.I.E.L.D. has found itself acting a little bit more like Hydra without even realizing it, you know? Um, Because Fury is in support of Project Insight. And, I mean, that's just kind of showing you how insidious this, this villain has just kind of crept into somebody like Fury and made him support something like Project Insight because he's willing to take preemptive action instead of being reactive. I, it's it's kind of, I don't know, it seems to me to be very, very telling. Uh, and it's kind of scary, I think, a little bit. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, um, you know, I, I'm for any listeners who don't know, I'm in Air Force ROTC and... We've taken a lot of classes about um, like military history, uh, leadership classes, that sort of thing. And it's an easy mindset to slip into of an us versus them in mm, a way that's yeah. necessary. If you have a true enemy, you know, if you're facing the Nazis, are you going to let them try to rule the world? Or are you going to try to stop them? And if you try to stop them, you are enemies with them and you have mm-hmm. to face the fact that you are trying to take them out. Um, but once you get into that mindset of threat assessment, you know, what, what are you willing to do to eliminate a threat and how are you going to distinguish between a low threat and a high threat and, uh, your responses to that. So, and at what point do you get from protecting yourself or your country or your family to, um, preemptive action to where, you know, well, okay, well, if I can prevent that danger from ever occurring, yep. And then you you get to the point where if you take that argument to its extreme, um, I I think as was said in the movie, let's take out twenty million people so that seven billion can be safe. I mean, and it you know when you're playing the numbers game and you're talking about the idea of you know kind of a Star Trek idea of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, that's what you're using. You're using uh, utilitarian logic to say that, yes, this is what's best. That, you know, like you said, 20 million should die so 7 billion can be safe. And it's just a, it's a scary thing to think, you know, like the question of how do you make the world better, you know, and Pierce says, you know, Robert Redford's wonderful trail of Pierce here is fantastic. I, I mean, getting him, what a huge get for this movie because he does oh, yeah. it so well. But when he says, you know, we realize sometimes you have to tear down the old to make room for the new. What Cap doesn't realize in that is that he means that kind of literally with people. Yeah, I think I think we can all agree that's when you start to take it too far. You know, that's when... Uh, preemption is is something that's way beyond anything that we could deem uh, morally okay, you know. Um, and yeah. the scary thought is that Facebook is kind of like Facebook is Skynet in this, in the sense that like they're talking about we're able to target these people because their lives are an open book for everything that they have online. Like right. that, that's yeah. as we were talking about the NSA earlier, that's just what I was thinking. Like this stuff doesn't seem all that far fetched anymore. Yeah. It's, it's sort of a, a fantastical interpretation of real life, if you will, um, with the addition of superheroes. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it's like these different moral ideas 
are explored in each film. For example, in Thor, it's it's the family issue and the leadership issue of, you know, who should rule, what makes you fit to rule, and you know, how much do you let somebody who who you love, who's close to you, but how much do you let them get away with in the sense to damage to yourself or to your family or to your country? But it's it's to me, I, I think I agree with you when this particular Marvel movie. The Winter Soldier has the most compelling moral expo- exploration to me of any of the MCU movies so far. Well, and I'm I'm sitting here thinking that as as you're looking at the Winter Soldier and and what's happening, and they're asking all of these you know major questions, and uh, you know how do you make the world better? And, you know, Cap's argument basically is one of, you know, you give people the most freedom. And what Cap, I think, understands is that the most freedom does cost. Um, you, you, you can't be preemptive because the, the more you're trying to be preemptive, the more you're preempting people's freedoms. So that is going to make us in the camp of being reactive. So if a problem comes up then we face it but not before that problem comes because that's where the most freedom lies and it's just an interesting argument because you can understand i mean you can understand why you'd want to stop a threat before it happens yeah and yet at the same time you know killing 20 million people who haven't done anything yet you know uh is is definitely what we would consider un-American, you know, <laughs> and just not not the way you do things. I mean, people are innocent until proven guilty, and you know, in the end, these are at that when you're killing them, they're innocent people. They haven't done anything, for the most part. I mean, that we know of, you know. Um, yeah. So I, I just it's a. I love that this film makes you kind of get into that moral malaise. And have to figure out, okay, what is right and wrong? You know, what is the best course of action? How do I figure that out in a world where, like, people might say something like Natasha that, you know, the truth is a matter of circumstances. And it's not all things to all people in all times. And maybe people aren't either, which is true because people aren't. We're, we're not, you know, morally absolute. That's for sure. But we live in a world where truth isn't either. That's That's, I don't know. How do you figure it out? Yeah. Yeah. And then it even comes back to that, the the lesson that we explore or the issue that we explore in Iron Man, which is, you know, how much, if you can see something coming that's bad, how much responsibility do you have to try to stop it? And when does that turn into preemption that could be positive? And then when does that turn into, well, let's just assassinate 20 million people to try to keep everybody else safe which is obviously um an an evil thing to do uh so it, it you know how much are you responsible as an intelligence agency as a military um as a leader as a superhero for seeing a threat that's coming or that you think is coming and stopping it and how much preemption do you take um and it's just I think that Cap is so used to being a soldier with a mission that he really struggles having to explore some of these issues more independently. I mean, as a soldier, you take orders. If, if those orders are unlawful, obviously you don't. But within the law, you take those orders uh, and you carry them out. And now Cap is less of a soldier and more of a leader and i i think he's struggling with managing that transition uh plus managing just the massive amount of personal stress and change and sorrow that comes from waking up and you know he's basically yeah he has more life to live but he's missed out on what he thought the entirety of his life would be you know he he probably thought that he would have his dance with Peggy and, you know, maybe they would 
uh, become something more serious. Maybe they would start a family. Um, maybe he'd get to hang up his shield at some point and none of that happened. And it's, mm. so it's like when he wakes up, his entire world is gone, even though it's still the earth. Well, that's, that's something that's really interesting about, you know, Cap, uh, especially since, you know, this movie takes place after Avengers and Cap is, is not just the soldier anymore because if you, and we'll talk about Avengers later on this summer when we have the opportunity on the show, but it, it really puts Cap in the place of kind of being the leader of the Avengers because he's the only one who understands how to work as a team and to get things done as a team. And I thought that was really fascinating about that film. And here, in the end of the movie, he's the one giving the orders. As Fury says, oh, Cap, looks like you're the one giving the orders. You know, yeah. he has learned how to take charge and be the leader. And I think, and what is so fascinating to me about this is that it's because Captain America, I think, has a moral compass that is still rooted in a a virtue and a morality that's kind of unshakable, whereas everybody else around him isn't. And so when the walls are crumbling, you know, and you're on quicksand, you kind of look to what's not on quicksand. Right. And that virtue, what we're talking about, a cap, I think people look to him because he is kind of unshakable. Well, it, he's the uh, he's the foundation of the team. He's mm -hmm. he's in a way, if if Nick Fury is kind of the glue that kind of keeps them all together, Cap is the foundation that they all stand on, and that's something that it's a role that I'm not sure that he understands. He actually plays, and yeah, he has you know his arguments with Tony, and you can tell that. Uh, you know, Tony obviously respects Steve, but there is an attitude there and almost a mistrust of Steve where it's like, he's too virtuous. He's too, he's too moral. He, he won't do what it takes to save us. He won't do what it takes to save the earth. And I can't trust someone who won't do what it takes. I have to be that person or even just, you can tell it in the little jibes, uh, in, um, Age of Ultron, where Tony's like, yeah, he's the leader, but I pay for everything and make us all look cool and keep us all safe. Um, so there's there's definitely some friction there that we see throughout the whole uh, team, but it's it's Cap who's leading the mission in Ultron, and it's Tony who's going rogue. Um, so in The Winter Soldier, he's coming to that point of questioning what is his role and questioning what is the team's role? What is shield's role? And what is Nick Fury's role? It's it's, he calls into question, maybe not his beliefs, but definitely how his beliefs should be acted upon. And that, that brings me to like an interesting point of the film, you know, where cap makes the decision that shield is too far gone, that, it's not salvageable because and I think he makes the right call there personally, because how can you ever know who's shield and who's Hydra at this point? It's they're They've kind of become sadly one in the same. And so sometimes there isn't room for compromise. Sometimes there isn't uh, a better solution than to tear it down and rebuild it, you know, because uh, what's really interesting is, is, you know, cap makes the call that says, no, this is, we can't save this like this. We're going to have to do something different. And the boldness uh, to make that call, the harder call, I think, um, is is something that, I mean, that's where real heroes come in. You know, they make the tough call, the hardest call, and they live with the consequences of how tough that's going to be. And I don't think that people really i know i didn't upon my first or even second viewing of the film which was that's a far harder call to make than you would think not just because of the implications of oh man we're dumping this entire 
massive organization that was a huge part of protecting our nation and protecting the world and has supported the Avengers, basically started the Avengers, um, and arguably is the only reason why the Earth at this point in the story isn't being yeah. overrun by aliens. <laughs> so it's, you have not only is he making that call, but on a personal level, you know, Nick Fury didn't have to go along with it. And he kind of didn't, but Natasha didn't have to either. Uh, what if none of his friends had agreed with him? Mm-hmm. What if they, out of fear, said, no, no, we have to, we have to just rebuild S.H.I.E.L.D. That's the only way we're going to stop Hydra. When at this point, Hydra is so interconnected with S.H.I.E.L.D. that I, I think Cap did make the right call. It's kind of like a computer that, you know, if you get a small virus on it, you can isolate it and delete the virus. But if your entire computer and every single file is infected by an insidious virus that, you know, anything you plug into it, anything you try to do is going to be infected by it. At that point, you just got to call it quits and get a new laptop. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, uh, yeah. Um, we need a new shield here or whatever we're to call it. Uh, so we're just going to shut this one down and we're yeah. going to destroy the building and we're going to get a new one. <laughs> and you see that develop within the MCU. You know, you see at the end of Age of Ultron, they have the new Avengers facility and Cap is leading it. And, you know, they're, they have the mission. Uh, they've always been clear on the mission, but now they have a fresh start, you know, minus Hydra. They're still fighting Hydra, obviously, but it's with a lot clearer ideas of what's right and what's wrong. What did uh, you think about the, the the Winter Soldier as, you know, this, this protagonist villain for... Uh, Captain America and uh, the fact uh, of bringing Bucky back in that that very tough situation that you put Cap in of wanting to be true to his friend and trying to you know save the world from an evil Hydra organization just you know killing millions of people. I think that the character was a really good one, Bucky. Uh, is a fascinating character who, I, I mean, we don't get a whole lot of an idea of what he's been through, but we get enough. We know that he's been tortured. We know that his mind has been messed with at a very fundamental level. We know that he has amnesia of some sort uh, and that he barely remembers anything. Um, so we have all of these things and uh, the this actually, it reminds me of Black Widow. Like, what would have happened to Black Widow if Budapest had never happened, if Hawkeye had never come along, if Nick mm. Fury had never come along? You know, you have this person who's completely messed up psychologically, emotionally, physically, who's been turned into a weapon that's being used instead of someone like Fury who means well, someone who really doesn't mean well at all. And so, Bucky, unlike Natasha, was the unlucky one. And I really like the moral dilemma that you put Cap in of, you know, having to make the choice, do I I choose Bucky or do I choose the mission? And I love that Cap finds a way to do both, even though it almost costs him his life, you know, um, because he's, he's completing the mission on the helicarrier and he's fighting with Bucky, you know, Bucky stabbed him. It's it's not going well. And I love that after he completes that mission, he has that confrontation with Bucky and it's like, "Look, I'm not going to kill you." Um, well, you know. It's I think there was definitely dilemma there, but I I think I disagree with you a little. It was Cap was uh you know, he was heartbroken that he had to choose the mission, but the mission and all of those lives were more important uh, Mm -hmm. than Bucky's life. And Bucky was directly threatening the mission that was going to save all of these millions of lives. And so Captain America, even though it, it pained him on a deep personal level, again, he's lost his entire past and yes, he he's made some friends, but at the same time, there's that connection with this, this man that you were such good friends with for all of your life since you were schoolboys who supported you, who was there for you during your hardest times that you felt 
guilty about his death and all of those things you come face to face with and you know you have to choose the mission but you don't want to and he chose the mission but then when it's choosing between himself or bucky he does the selfless thing and decides that you know what if it's me or bucky i'm going to take the bullet which makes it really interesting because, I mean, think about this. You know, in the first movie, Cap loses his life as he's known it. And then in this film, he loses his life as he knows it. Like, as he's kind of been rebuilding his life, it's been about S.H.I.E.L.D. It's been about being a part of the Avengers and all of this stuff. And then he completely has to root that out all over again. And, you know, by the end of Captain America... Winter Soldier, he's in a completely different place, back at the beginning, kind of back at square one, trying to rebuild again. And I, I think that that is what I love about the character, is that he is willing to do what it takes, no matter what the cost, even to him personally. And yeah, yes. I like what you were saying, you know, it, the choice between the mission or Bucky, for Cap, that's not a choice. The, the mission is clear. You know, he's going to choose the mission. But the moment that mission is complete, the mission, the, the choice between him and Bucky, that's not a choice either. And I, I think that kind of selflessness in a character like Captain America is, is one that we can look up to and feel very inspired by. In the same way, I think of like uh, in Batman v Superman, Superman being willing to give up his life to save a world that may or may not really even like him, but he's going to yeah, do it anyway yeah. because that's what heroes do regardless of the cost to themselves. Um, and I think that's what I love, you know, here in this film. And, and um, but I just think it's a poor guy keeps having <laughs> to tear down. I mean, he, he keeps having to make decisions to tear down his life, to destroy all he's known and give it up. Because it's the right call. Yeah. Or it's, in some cases, being destroyed for him. And he yes, that's true. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> again, there's a parallel there, as you mentioned, with Natasha's story. But there's a parallel there as well with Bucky. And I, I wonder how that's going to affect those characters' perspectives from here on out. Because, yeah, it happened to, to each Avenger who worked with S.H.I.E.L.D., they kind of had their lives torn apart. But it was Natasha who, S.H.I.E.L.D. was her home, her family, almost her reason for existence. Um, you know, it was Fury and Hawkeye who pulled her out of just being a mindless, heartless assassin uh, and, and just being trapped in that. And again, she's been a sword for S.H.I.E.L.D., which is it's kind of funny. Um, or not funny, but paradoxical. And for Cap, it's the same because he lost his entire world. He doesn't have a family. He doesn't have a spouse. He doesn't have his hometown. You know, it's it's all completely foreign to him. Um, and the same thing has happened to Bucky as well. Uh, and with Bucky, it's 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 not just arguably worse. It's definitely worse because he was abused and tortured. And not only had everything around him taken away from him, but his own mind, um, possibly his own will to a degree. Because I would say once you're controlling somebody at that level, you've taken away their, their will. And he was essentially a slave um, for all intents and purposes. I mean, he may not have been in actual chains, but he was being controlled uh, to a slave-like degree, um, I would argue. And it's in that that we see these characters have already lost everything and they're rebuilding. But it's a character like Tony who he has his company that he could still lose. He has his family. He has his home. Um, you know, he has Jarvis. He has all of these things that are very important to him and to who he is. And the same way with, with Banner. You know, it's, it's these characters have lost a lot when S.H.I.E.L.D. essentially betrayed them by being half Hydra, uh, but not as much as Natasha, Cap, and Bucky lost. Well, and it's, I love the way that you're, you're putting that because 
all of these characters in this whole movie, everybody has been under this sort of Democles and they haven't even known it, you know, because Hydra has found its way into the heart of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the destruction has always been over their heads. They just didn't know it until the sword fell and it's, you know, it's Bucky coming in and wrecking everything and trying to kill Captain America and Hydra making its move with this Project Insight to, quote-unquote, keep us safe. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, yeah. It's, 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 it's such an amazing story plot point of of it all coming together and I, I love the way that the Winter Soldier really brings together so much of what's happened in the MCU up to this point and at the same time it just kind of tears it down yeah exactly and again that argument goes into in the name of security if I can get into a Star Wars quote when the Emperor says do what must be done, show no mercy, you know, do not hesitate. And that's in the name of ending the war, of building the empire, of building security. Now, of course, Palpatine has all these evil plans that he's going for, but um, Anakin can still rationalize these, you know, we have a safe and secure galaxy. And it's, uh, I think the bad guys sometimes they do have good intentions i mean in the case of hydra it's evil <laughs> but uh even then i don't think members of hydra would call themselves evil they would say this is necessary in order to have a functioning earth yeah as bane would say i am necessary evil you know <laughs> so i mean yeah I, I think that's exactly who they think they are and you know it's it's one of the things I think that's um, really cool about this movie in the fact that it is, you know, the original Cap movie is very pulpy and very um, 1930s serial. It feels like uh, something like the Rocketeer or um, Indiana Jones kind of thing. That's the kind of the feeling of the film you get. And this one in the same way is built on another genre and it fits so well with everything that's going on, which is that kind of seventies political thriller. And we have all of these machinations going on behind the scenes and all of these things happening politically and, and, you know, things being toppled and brought down. And I love that. And I love how it's, it kind of affects everything about the film. I mean, if you listen to the soundtrack for the first Captain America movie, it's very classic, very um, symphonic score. And this one, most of the tracks are very discordant in tone, harsher, and it it fits the feeling of the film that everything is kind of coming apart at the seams. And I just really love that this film uh, feels... To me, one of the most unique that they've done, and it, it really sets itself apart, and part of that, I think, is as fantastical as the elements are, the story somehow resonates as feeling so real and so grounded at the same time. Right, yeah, and that's, uh, it, it's just so, I find myself at a loss of words, huh, I make a great podcaster, <laughs> but uh the, the feel of this movie is different. It's it's almost a turning point in, you know, the heroes are all fine now at the end and they've conquered evil and they figured everything out and hooray, let's all give a toast to everybody. Everything's great now. And that's definitely not the case at the end of the Winter Soldier. I mean, you get the idea that, you know, they've they've saved the earth from another crisis of, you know, 20 million people being murdered, but um, Hydra is still out there. Shield is broken. Um, you know, what's going to happen with the Avengers and how, how are the different Avengers going to handle their support system being torn away from them? Well, I wanted to, to ask you, we've gotten so deep into the story and, and one of the things about this movie that I also really like is they introduce some, some new characters, um, not a lot, 
but they introduced a few new, and one of them was Anthony Mackie's Sam Wilson playing Falcon. And uh, I have to say, I just he fits so perfectly in this movie and is so good. Like, I'm not sure how to talk about how good I thought he was in the role without just gushing because he's fantastic. Oh, gush away, and I will join you. It's (laughs) (laughs) he's so like he's down to earth, but he has a sense of humor that I think really keeps because because Cap is dealing with all of these issues, you know, his personal issues, the stress, the shield and Hydra and, and Fury and everything that's going on and what's right and you know, he basically his his entire world has been turned upside down and then shaken multiple times. And <laughs> Anthony Mackie's character, it's it's at, at a point that's very serious. He'll take things seriously, but he always injects just a little bit of humor in there. And I think it really helps Cap to have somebody who is not as flippant as Tony is, but um, can still take a serious situation and kind of take a step back from it and not get too wound up in oh my gosh what are we going to do this is so bad you know let's all panic a little bit here or freak out a little bit or just get really sad and upset about how poorly things are going which if you think about it each of the avengers they they handle all of their troubles differently but they have a remarkably high resilience level because, you know, I mean, Nick Fury, his entire world has been building up shield and that gets taken away (laughs) from him. And when cap says, you know, we need to, um, shield needs to go along with Hydra. There's that moment of, you know, he looks to everybody else to see what they think. And then he just, he lets it go. I don't think I could do that. I wouldn't be a big enough man to do that or woman or, you know, in his shoes. I don't know that I could let go like that. And Cap manages to as well. And Mm -hmm. Cap has to keep doing that over and over again. He has to let go of Bucky in order to save the mission, even though it might cost Bucky his life, his one last friend, his last connection to his old life. What I love about that is that Falcon and Sam Wilson fit right into that, you know. And uh, what I love is that I feel like Cap has found his brother from another, you know, time. Yeah. Because they are so simpatico when it comes to how they feel about things and the value and morality I feel like that they both have is really rooted in the same thing. And maybe that's partly because they're both soldiers. And yeah. that that tends to be something that runs uh, through a, a lot of people in the military. Family, duty, honor, country. You know, all of those things are very important. And uh, Sam Wilson is, is very much a part of that. So I, I just love the addition of his character in the film. And I think he's really something special. And I can't wait to see more of him now as we move into uh, Civil War. I'm, I'm just very excited to see that. So, and they, they really cast well with him. So glad, glad that they've got him for the, for the long haul, at least right now. Quigley, yeah. we have a villain, kind of, and Frank Grillo, who's playing uh, Brock Rumlow. And he's just kind of the muscle in this movie. Uh, but he's going to end up being a part of the next movie. I just kind of wondered... Well, what you thought of him, if you had any thoughts on him at all. Because, I mean, he's he's pretty typical villain who yeah. likes to think he's uh, got the, the good punchlines. Yeah, I, I think he thinks of himself like many other of the uh, the bad guys. I think he thinks that his role is a necessary one for the greater good. And I, I think he truly is working for the greater good in this movie. Um, but we see that he enjoys conflict. We see that yeah. he <laughs> enjoys violence. And I think that that element of his personality is, become, is going to become far more enhanced. I think it's going to become uh, something where he is obviously horribly scarred from <laughs> what happens to him. 
and he's burned up. He lost the fight, and I think he has an ego, and that's going to burn him up. And I think he's going to be enraged that he was damaged to the degree that he was physically, and he's going to blame people. And, you know, that ego, that rage, and that propensity to already enjoy violence is going to be massively exacerbated. So I think when he comes back, instead of someone who thought that, okay, you know, I'm doing what's necessary for the greater good and I like it, (laughs) uh, he's going to come back and say, you know, screw the greater good. This is my good and I'm going to get revenge. To quote another famous film, he's as mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's yeah. just going to be out for revenge. Um, I think uh, the last real new character that we get is uh, Emily Van Camp, uh, who I knew from Everwood, and she was also, uh, she's wonderful on that show. If you've never seen it, go back and watch it. It's, it's amazing. Um, and then I'll course, add it to my Captain America list. I do actually have one. Nice. Um, and then, of course, you know, she's also, she was in Revenge, too, uh, which a lot of people probably know her from on ABC. But, you know, she plays Sharon Carter, Agent 13, and she has a kind of a small role here. But I I really like her, and I, I wish we had seen a little bit more of her. And I'm very excited that they brought her back for Civil War to play a much bigger part, hopefully. Oh, yeah. I hope so, too. Um, I Actually, I've not seen Everwood, but I did watch Revenge, and she was the main character in Revenge and did a fantastic job with that. Um, I, I like her character in Winter Soldier a whole lot because, um, you know, she's a great agent and she follows orders. But when those, again, when those orders start to become questionable, she immediately starts questioning them. She doesn't go along with it, even though there's a threat. And it's hard to break out of that mindset of, you know, everybody's doing this. So you just kind of go along with what everybody else is doing. Breaking out of the norm is difficult. And she does that and gets shot at for her trouble. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, but she immediately jumps into this is the right thing to do. You know, she's figured out, okay, they're actually doing something wrong here. And I like how, even though she kind of had a personal attachment to Cap after, you know, kind of being his watcher for however long she has been, and she obviously admires him and his ethics. She's not naive and she thinks, okay, well, you know, he could have turned bad. Maybe something happened. Um, And she's told that's what happens. But then as soon as she finds out yeah, this doesn't feel right. Um, she goes with her gut and acts on it. And I, I really I really like and admire that about her. Well, having read um, a bunch of Cap comics recently, um, the fact that, you know, they have kind of an on-again, off-again relationship in the comics and everything, and really enjoying her character there, I just, I can't wait to see her more in Civil War. And I agree with everything you said. I think she comes off as a, as a great character. She's strong. Um, and I'm really looking forward to, to seeing them hopefully give that character more to do. And cause she does, she does actually play a big part in the comics and in shield. Um, even though that's the, you know, debunked now defunct, uh, I think they could give her some, some real weight in the MCU, especially going forward. So, um, I think we've got nothing but good things coming in. And, um, with all that we've talked about, here if you had to rate captain america winter soldier out of five what do you think you'd end up rating it winter soldier oh goodness i would say four and a half for sure uh it's it is one of my favorite marvel films and i love the character exploration that they have i think that the battle and the fight sequences were all really good too Um, It was just, it was a great mix of um, character, plot, and action. Uh, And I love the action in the Avengers films, and I love the character moments. But when you have a cast that that's large with that many main characters, they really do turn into just character moments. There's not tons of character development and introspection um, with the entire Avengers cast being in the same film. Uh, I do kind of wonder 
about that with civil war coming you know and you see this shot of all the heroes coming at each other it's like you know how are we gonna yeah about <laughs> spider-man and black panther and this argument between cap and tony and both sides and how's this all going to fit into the movie in a good way so that's that's a, a big question for me but i love the individual superhero movies because they do have more time to explore these characters that i've come to love and enjoy on screen so much man for this one for me um this is my very favorite marvel film and this is my third favorite comic book movie ever Nice. So this is a five out of five for me. Um, I, I I couldn't, I mean, I really can't rank a, a comic book uh, movie higher and have greater respect for a comic book movie. Uh, you know, people know if they listen to the show, I, I definitely love my DC comics. And, um, but uh, I also love good Marvel movies. And this is a, this is the best Marvel movie that they've ever made. I think, um, and yeah. for me, it's because it gives you so much to think about, so much to talk about. Uh, and walking out of the film, I remember the first time I saw it, so much to mull over and to consider. And it's still just as relevant today as the day it came out. And I think it will continue to be with the questions that it raises. And I think that just makes for amazing cinema. So I, yeah, love this movie, and it has been a joy to get to talk about it uh, today. I, I love the fact that the, we've got our associate producers through Patreon that help us bring the show to everyone. Uh, we've got Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson, and really appreciate those guys for singling out the 602 Club to support and to make sure that it keeps coming to you each and every week. And the way they did that was through Patreon, which is uh, the best way to support the network. We have over 20 different shows coming to people each week now. We've got uh, special feeds and so much more happening here on the network. And because of that, it's pretty expensive to put on, and we can't do it without your help. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can see how you can be part of our team and help make sure that the content comes to you each and every week. And have amazing guests like Bethany. I'm really glad that we got a chance to sit down and talk about uh, the Winter Soldier uh, together. And uh, I think you're going to be back next week to talk about uh, Civil War. So that's very exciting as well. But um, before we let you go, I know you have a lot going on and some things you do online as well. So let everybody know where they can find you. Okay. Uh, well, you can find most of my personal social media I'm at Bethany L. Blanton on Twitter and Instagram, same name on Facebook and basically everywhere that you could look, Snapchat. Um, I'm, I'm a little too into this social media thing. So just look for my name on social media. You'll probably find it. But I do a lot of work with the Star Wars Report, uh, StarWarsReport.com, at Star Wars Report on Twitter. And we have a number of awesome Star Wars podcasts and a blog where we follow the Star Wars news. And basically, everything that you could want to know or talk about Star Wars-wise, come join our community. Awesome, and you definitely should. So everybody go check it out because it's awesome, and uh, I've enjoyed being able to uh, have you and uh, Riley on the show, and I can't wait to meet you guys at Dragon Con this coming year. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. really excited about so that. So it's going to be a blast. Now, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter. Matt Rushing 2 I am also on Instagram at MRushing. Uh, I do the orb here on the network with Chris Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine exclusively. And I also do literary treks, where we're talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We also get a chance to interview the authors. That's a lot of fun. Uh, and recently, we've been joined by a very fun guest. Uh, I think he's going to continue on. We're enjoying having him on, Bruce Gibson. So be sure to check out literary treks. Um, and I'm doing a Star Wars podcast with my good friend John Mills. Uh, you've heard on the 602 a bunch with our special Star Wars feed. You hear him on almost every single episode of that show except for one, but uh, we're not going to let that uh, get us down. But check that out. Check out uh, the aggressive negotiations there on the nerdparty.com. You can also find us on iTunes. Um, it's a blast talking about Star Wars with him. So. 
and I appreciate uh, that. I, I'm going to uh, completely take credit here, even though that's not the case, and say that it, it was my Star Wars enthusiasm that encouraged you to make a podcast. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's actually funny because um, my first podcasts to listen to were Star Wars podcasts, and it was... Really? Yeah, it was um, the old Force cast when it was Jimmy and Jason, mm -hmm. and it was actually... Those guys are awesome. Yeah, it was actually you and Riley, too, and uh, Steve Glosson. So you guys were the ones who got me into podcasts, and I realized, well, there are Star Wars podcasts. There has to be Star Trek podcasts, too, right? So <laughs> then I found Trek of M. So, but really, it was... My love of Star Wars that helped me find podcasts. And so, yes, you guys are kind of responsible for this. So anybody who wants to blame anyone, just blame Bethany. So, <laughs> Okay, well, I will happily <laughs> take that. And I hadn't realized that. I'm in, I'm in good company to have helped you discover this whole podcasting thing. And um, so my brother Riley and our buddy Mark run the Star Wars Report podcast currently. So... Um, that's a lot of fun. Definitely listen. And yeah, you named some great podcasting company. So yeah, there's some great podcasts out there. So I, I'm just glad to to be uh, a part of the community at this point. It's It's been an awesome ride so far and can't wait to have it continue. And well, thank you everyone for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Yeah.